It is an honor uh, to come up here and to bring the word. I oftentimes tell people it is a terrible honor because uh, before we wrestle together through this, uh, you tend to wrestle alone on a passage. Sorry, this is this is the first time I wore the Britney Spears thing, and uh... <laughs> but. Uh, to, to, to wrestle with it during the week and uh, then to turn around and, and, uh, and bring it to you, it truly is an honor. And uh, it's just a reminder for me to remind the church as, as a lay person to other lay people to, to remember to, to pray for our pastors, to pray for Rick and to pray for Dave as they week in and week out pour over Scripture and what it has to say, and challenge us with that week after week. And, and it, it can be very grueling and very taxing on them, not just on the time, but just as they uh, pour themselves over these passages. So remember to encourage them, remember to thank them, uh, lift up their families as well. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going old school. I didn't, ha- I didn't get any slides this week. We're going old school. Um, actually, I have it all on flannel graph. Could you guys bring the flannel graph out? Some of you, don't, you might not even know what a flannel graph is. That's all right. I grew up with the flannel graphs. Um, but if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John 12. If you're, just, uh, if you're joining us, we've been walking through uh, the Gospel of John, and I have enjoyed it thoroughly. And uh, this chapter, the start of this chapter... Uh, is uh, enjoyable and convicting, uh, like much of Scripture. And John 12, 1 through 11 says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Jesus Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Have you ever witnessed an outpouring of love? Have you ever witnessed just extravagance? Maybe it was a wedding. Maybe it was your wedding. Uh, Maybe you were the recipient of extravagant love. Maybe you were the one that gave the extravagant love. Maybe like most of us, you just witnessed it and you stepped back and you saw it. 
A few years ago, I, was, uh, I, I officiated a wedding down in Texas, and on our way back, uh, you, you kind of had the feeling that someone special was on our flight. Uh, and it was a serviceman uh, who was just getting out of a rehab hospital in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He had been injured. I don't know if it was in Iraq or Afghanistan. I didn't know the whole story, but he had been injured, and he had spent six months in this rehab uh, hospital, and it, w- it had something to do with his, with his leg. Um, they were making a big, big deal about it, and, and rightly so. But one of the really cool things was that the pilot not only uh, announced that he was on there at the end of the flight, was walking out of, uh, out of the secured area there to where uh, people meet uh, other people, and it was hundreds of people. It was at least a hundred uh, scruffy-looking motorcycle guys with flags on their Harleys, and they, they basically, I'm sure security loved this, they basically took up all the drop-off area there in front of the Southwest Terminal. People were cheering, people were hugging, waving flags, thanking him, shaking his hand, doing all these amazing things. And you couldn't help, I didn't know this guy, I mean, he lives in the St. Louis area. I didn't know him, and everyone on the flight didn't know him, but you couldn't help but get choked up. You know, where you get that point where it's hard to swallow. And, and that was, you saw it. They, they weren't just going to welcome him with just a, a banner and saying, welcome home, and maybe a couple of people. It, it seemed like half of his hometown was there, and they were giving him a hero's welcome. That's extravagant. That's not just, hey, we're, we might meet you at the airport. We might be a little late. It's, no, we're there. We're welcoming you home. It's extravagant. In, in this story is, is really one of the last times that Scripture mentions Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the siblings. A religious tradition has all three of them placed at the cross, uh, and, but Scripture doesn't specify them necessarily being there. It's just it's tradition has it that they're there. But it's clear from Scripture that they love Jesus. It's clear. And it's very clear that he loves them. This family is from the city of Bethany. It's not far from Jerusalem. And they had provided something for Jesus over these years of ministry. They provided a home, a a place to stay when he was passing through or when he was coming specifically to Bethany, Uh, a place to uh, enjoy the company of others. Jesus had recently let the disciples know. I mean, all the cards are really on the table here. In Matthew 26, 2, he mentioned that the Son of Man will be handed over. He'll be handed over, he'll be crucified. There, there are no secrets at this point. But somehow the disciples didn't fully understand yet. And, and it's easy to throw rocks at them and say, ah, you silly disciples, how come you didn't understand this? It's easy to do that, but oftentimes I find myself in that same category. I don't understand this, I don't understand this, yet it's right in front of me. So there are no secrets. Everybody knew Jesus was a wanted man. They knew it. We read about some of that last week. The text of it was in, in last week where the religious leaders gathered together and figured, hey, we got to do something about this guy. You know, not a great many had witnessed Lazarus raising from the dead. 
It wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot of people there. But word is traveling fast. Hey, remember that guy who died? Hey, he's right over there. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's going to start a buzz, you know? This is before any handheld devices and, and all that stuff. So it's like, this is, this is better than TV, you know? People want to go see this guy. They want to shake his hand. What was it like being dead? Was there a light at the end of the tunnel? What, you know, what, what, are, the, what are these things? Tell us, Lazarus. This is, a, this is a pretty good sermon for Jesus because a lot of people are going away. And they're not just, they're not just at a point of saying, you know, oh, Jesus, this is, he's this great magician showing these things. It's, we believe. <laughs> we believe. <clears throat> no one else can do this. He's got to be God. So, that's some of the background we have of this. Last week we looked at the, the text in John 11, and this is the religious leader saying, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. <clears throat> you know, as I went through this this week, it just a sense of sadness. And sometimes it's so easy to get angry at the Pharisees, but a sense of sadness. These, these men that had studied for so long. These men that had all this knowledge. They had all this, uh, all this, this, this knowledge that, uh, of, of the Scripture, and yet they were so threatened by Christ. The loss of position, the loss of power, the loss of influence. The religious leaders thought, hey, we're, we can lose all of this if Jesus continues. And so they're plotting against Jesus. And, and, and here we're at the, <clears throat> at the precipice of God's plan to, to bring back humanity. To bring back humanity to Him. It's picking up speed as a, as a rock rolling down a hill. And we're at the most crucial point in all of history. It's about to take place. Salvation is nearing. You know, Revelation 13.8 talks about the, the Lamb slain from the creation of the world. He's about to die so that you and I can know God. And in our passage today, it seems as though Mary was the only one to understand this. She's the only one that seems to respond to the extravagance of Jesus' love. The extravagance. Now, I know a lot of you are parents, and maybe in, in your house, growing up, or even right now, you're in the middle of it, you have a routine at bedtime. There's a bedtime routine. And usually with a bedtime routine with kids, you don't subtract things, you end up adding things. And before you know it, it's like a 45-minute like ordeal uh, for bedtime. And, and in our house, uh, reading a book is always a part of it. And kids are smart. Kids start picking out, like, the big ones. We, you know, you start at the Nick's, like, Where's Waldo? Um, or, you know, there's some other books that are just, you know, this is too long. Some of the Dr. Seuss ones are too long. But one of my favorites... Is, is, is a story I had my daughter, she had to go get it out of her, out of her uh, bookshelf. But it's Guess How Much I Love You. This is, it's, it's a cute, cute book. All right, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert if you've never read Guess How Much I Love You. 
You can read it after the service. I'll leave it out here. You can read it. It's, it's awfully cute. It's a cute book. I recommend it. Um, but in uh, Guess How Much I Love You, this was, this was my, I'm going to pick on him a little bit. This was my oldest son, Jacob, one of his favorite books. And kids go, they go through the routine of, we're reading this book again. And as parents, some of you know, you're like, oh, how about another book? Because you can almost read it word for word. And sometimes when you skip a word, your kid knows. Hey, you missed a word. Why don't you read it to me? <laughs> um, but in, I'm not going to read it to you, by the way. Um, but in Guess How Much I Love You, uh, I'd pass it around, but then you wouldn't listen to me. Um, in Guess How Much I Love You, there's uh, the big nut brown hair and the little nut brown hair. And the whole premise of the book is just their relationship and how much they love each other. Well, they get to the point of they try to one-up each other on how much they love each other. And, you know, he says, well, I love you as high as I can hop. And the little one hops, and he doesn't hop very high. And the big one goes, well, I love you as high as I can hop. And he out-hops him, you know. And so, uh, really, the big nut brown here is kind of a jerk. But, um... (laughs) But we don't tell the kids that. It's a cute story. Uh, and so it goes on and goes on and to the point where uh, little nut brown hair comes up with, he's like, yeah, I got this. I love you to the moon. And he's like, yeah, top that. That's a long way to go to the moon. All right? And so then they, you know, big nut brown hair accepts that and they, they fall asleep. Well, at the end... Little nut brown hair is closing his eyes and he's going to sleep. And then here it comes, big nut brown hair. He says, I love you right up to the moon and back. It's huge. That's big. That's there and back. It is a cute story. He's not a jerk. But, but it's that idea of the extravagance of it. It's big. You can't contain it. And, and some of you, you've, you've experienced love like that. Like, if you had a container to put it in, that, it, it wouldn't be big enough. It would, just keep, it would just keep pouring out. Last night, we had a watermelon in, and Christy gave me a container, and I was cutting it up, and I'm putting the watermelon in, and we look at it, and we go, that's not going to be big enough. So she gets out another one, and I'm cutting up more watermelon, and that one's not going to be big enough. And so she has to get another one and a bigger one. Finally, she gets a huge one, and that barely fit all the watermelon. But it's that idea that it's pouring over. The extravagance. It pours over. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great illustration that we, we see of, 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 of a, uh, a glass being filled. And you just leave it there. And you just watch it run over. That's the extravagance. That's the extravagance that, that Christ, in our, in, in our account here in John, is he's, he's journeying to the cross. To show us that extravagant love. And here we have this woman, Mary, who shows it. Who shows it. There's something to be said for a love that trumps everything else. A love that sacrifices everything. A love that only wishes it had more to give. Nothing is too precious. Nothing is too costly. And at that moment, the heart demands that you give. That we give. And that, not that we just give a little bit, or we give a tenth, or we give this, or we give, that we give it all. That we give it all. Mary is 
anointing Jesus at this banquet. It's a banquet given in his honor. He's back in town since Lazarus has been raised from the dead. If you're like me, you, you kind of wish that, that footnote of that conversation, you just some of the conversation, uh, hey, how you feeling, you know? I'm feeling good. I haven't died in the last few days. I'm doing all right. But you wish that you had that in there, and it's not in there. But they're having this banquet, this banquet for, for, for Christ. It's his honor. And at this banquet, she is going to anoint Jesus with her very best. So she has this alabaster jar. It's filled with perfume. And this is no ordinary perfume. This is not Estee Lauder. This is not uh, Axe. This is not Stetson. I wore Stetson when I was in high school. Uh, it makes, you, makes you smell like a real cowboy. But uh, <laughs> this is no ordinary perfume. This is not something you're picking up at Walgreens. This is, this is nard, which is a really funny name for something that was rare and expensive and beautiful. It was an oil. It was extracted from a plant mainly grown in India. And so it had to be imported. Uh, and I'm really not sure if there's any perfumes that could compare to its worth today. Uh, this is, it's, it's more, uh, when Judas talks about it, and, and we, we, ha- we take it for his word that he's not exaggerating, he said it, it would be uh, worth 300 denarii. More than 300 denarii. And we know a denarii is, is, is one day's wage, so almost a year's wages in perfume. That's a lot. That's a lot for a single woman. We don't know if it was hers completely or if it was the family's, but either way, it was a lot. They could have sold it. They could have lived off of that for a year. We don't, we, we don't know what their financial situation was, but that was a lot. In today's, in today's it's, it's, it's probably about $30,000 for that bottle, what was in the bottle. And to me, the side thing is the interesting thing is what was of value was inside the bottle. Because an alabaster uh, bottle or an alabaster jar is, is simple, it's, it's beautiful, but it's simple, and it's common. What mattered was what was on the inside. This expensive perfume, she was, she was not just pouring that out, but she was also pouring out her love and her sacrificial service. But not everyone at the party had Mary's heart, however. Judas had something to say. You can just see him sitting there going, what a waste. Ah, oh, what an extravagant, expensive, over-the-top display of emotion. Why couldn't she just use a few drops? Why, why did she have to use the whole bottle? And really, why break the bottle? You could have just poured it out. And your hair, wiping it with your hair, really... It's a mess. It's not proper. Mary's cleaning Jesus' feet with her hair. A bottle of perfume, the whole bottle. And, the, and John tells us this distinct thing. No one could escape the smell of this perfume. 
It was throughout the whole house. Nobody could escape that. It's just that the aroma was throughout there. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just a little bit. Like maybe somebody next to you put on some perfume or cologne, and maybe just you and, and the person next, next to you, they, they can smell it, but, but people on the other side of the room can't smell it. This is the whole room smelled of this expensive perfume. To say this was a bit awkward is uh, probably correct for those in attendance. To see this display of emotion was, was going to be awkward for those in attendance. And, and Judas, he's the one that step, steps up and, and, and says it. And you know what? Most commentaries say probably most of the disciples were there. It's just Judas was the one to, to speak up. Jesus' answer to Jesus is, leave her alone. Leave her alone. What she's doing is a good thing. She's preparing my body for burial. This is a good thing. You notice Jesus doesn't help her up and like quietly like, all right, you know, you're an uncontrollable woman. Let's, let's kind of put you off to the side. It'll be okay. It'll be, somebody come help Mary. Okay. He allows her to do this. Why? It's worship. He allows her to do this, even though culturally she's breaking, she's breaking a few rules. He says, leave her alone. Judas, leave her alone. Really, this is a tale of two followers. The story of Jesus' anointing, it's found in all four Gospels. And, and Judas' betrayal is found in, in, in uh, all four Gospels as well. Matthew and Mark both place Judas' dark turn as happening immediately after Mary's act of love. Immediately after. In Mark 14, 10 and 11, it says this, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Matthew's account is the only one to highlight the amount in which Jesus sold Jesus. Thirty pieces of silver. The exact amount prophesied 400 years ago in Zechariah. And, and really in, in Exodus 21, it's the, it's the standard price to, that they paid for a slave. And if you translate that, it was approximately 120 denarii. Less than half the amount of the money that Mary had generously poured out in worship at the feet of Jesus. You know, life has a way of, of bringing to the surface who we really are. The, the deep hidden motivations of, of, of our heart. And Jesus even said it in Matthew 12, For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And it happened this day in both Mary and in Judas. If you, if you back up to when Lazarus died, after Lazarus had died, immediately after he had died, and you remember this scene, Jesus is coming, Martha goes out to meet him. Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. 
But there's something interesting about the story that says that Mary stayed in the house. And why we're given that detail, not really sure. It said that she stayed there. And she still had the same question as Martha, but she stayed in the house. And perhaps downcast, perhaps alone, despair, grief, the loss of her brother. She wasn't going out to meet Jesus. But praise God, Jesus meets us where we are. He comes in these dark and lonely places, these confusing corners of our lives. And if we're willing, he gives us light. As far as we can tell, this is, this is what's happening to Mary. And instead of sitting passively and listening to the master speak, she throws herself into worship of the one who has given her family so much. Now, as a former youth pastor, there's been a lot of things that I've gotten to experience that I've enjoyed. And one of the greatest things that I've enjoyed was, is when, when you take students into God's creation. And one of the, one of the things that I, I, I learned to enjoy was spelunking. Don't ask me how to spell it. I'm just, I mean, it's just crazy. I worked the word spelunking into a sermon. But spelunking is, uh, is, is putting on your dirty clothes, putting on a helmet, a headlamp, and crawling into a cave for fun. Um, and uh, it is fun. I recommend going with a group, though. Um, I don't know how much fun it would be if it was by yourself. That'd be a little weird, but... Um, one of the things that I always liked about it is if you go far enough into a cave, and, and I, I mean like a smaller cave, I don't mean strolling the paved path at Merrimack Caverns. That, it's a cave, it's beautiful, God created it, yes, that's, you know, yeah, that's not spelunking. But uh, going far enough into the cave to the point where you cannot see the mouth of the cave, there is no light permeating into the cave. It is dark, except for your headlamps. And you get into a room, and, and you say, all right, everybody, switch off your lights. All the lights go off. And it is, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced darkness like that. It's oppressive. It's like if somebody put their hand up here, I mean, you might be able to tell because, you know, your, your breath bouncing off of their hand. But you wouldn't know. I mean, they could have it like, like ready to poke your eye out. You wouldn't know. And then all it takes... This is the coolest thing about it. All it takes is just a little bit of light. And it just, it pierces the darkness. You know, all it takes is somebody's watch light. And now you can make out faces. And it's the same way. I'm so thankful that, that Christ comes to us. And not, and not saying, you know what? Get your act together and then we'll talk. Do this, this, and this. And then we'll see. Maybe. No. He doesn't wait for us to be ready. He comes to us. Praise God. Unfortunately, this is, it's not the case with Judas. That was the case with, with, with Mary. It's not the case with Judas. And really, it's, just, it's, it's the difference between an open hand and a closed hand. 
Jesus knew all the disciples' weaknesses. This is something that I hadn't really even thought of it, 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 until this week. And I, I've gone over this passage several times. And I haven't really thought about it until this week, is that he knew all the disciples' weaknesses. Yet he put G, uh, Judas in charge of the money. He knew. He knew. He gave Judas his chance. He made him the treasurer of the group. William Barclay uh, says this, sometimes the best way to reclaim someone who is on the wrong path is to treat them not with suspicion, but with trust. Not as if we expected the worst, but as if we expected the best. Mary had this heart of gratitude. Judas had a heart of greed. And the thing about a greedy heart is it's never satisfied. You realize discontentment can be sneaky. It can be one of those things that over time you turn around and go, how did that get here? It just starts with just your heart not being satisfied with relationships, with finances, with status, with jobs, with all these different things. It just starts small, but it grows, and, and suddenly it's, it's, you're looking not to what, what you have, what God has given you, what, what you steward, but what you don't have. Well, I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this. Judas had a heart of greed. The, the famous uh, theologian Cheryl Crow said this, it's, it's not having what you want, it's, wa- it's wanting what you got. And, and though it's a, it's a rather simple song and it'll get stuck in your head and it'll die there, it's a profound lyric. Wanting what you got. Without gratefulness, we're prone to the same hardness of heart and darkness of mind, the same that, that overcame Judas. If we refuse the vastness of God's grace and this incredible price that was paid by, by, by Jesus, it cost Jesus his life, it, this will, it will come to a point where we'll take it for granted. Romans one twenty one lets us know this. It says they knew God. They knew Him. But they neither glorified Him as God, nor they gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. To know God, but never truly experience God, is sad. Nurturing a grateful heart is what needs to happen. And when I said it's a terrible honor to do this, as, I, as, as you look at this, and right off the bat, you're like, Mary good, Judas bad. And so you're like, yeah, okay, be like Mary, be like Mary. Oh, I'm a lot like Judas. Ugh. Why? Judas had a heart of greed. And I think really one of the first things that we need to do is have an attitude of thankfulness of gratitude. Worship doesn't just happen on Sunday where you hit a button and you go, worship mode. Yes. It's six in the morning when the alarm goes off. It, it's 11 when the coworker is just getting on your last nerve. It's six o'clock when the kids won't come down for dinner 
or, or 9 or 10 o'clock when they won't go to bed, or you don't get what you want. Gratitude starts in the smallest things, and that's what needs to cultivate in our lives, in my life. Mary came with abandon, yet Judas had an agenda. He had an agenda. He didn't really care about the poor. That was just a front. It was a front. He cared about the money. Because John tells us why. He was dipping. He was dipping into the coffers. Two for Jesus, one for me. He was dipping into it. He had an agenda. Mary heard Jesus, and she responded. Judas heard, and he didn't understand. Mary held nothing back, and Judas, he gave nothing up. You know, and this is the amazing thing to me, is that instead of being shamed by Mary's extravagance, just shamed of his own life, Judas was critical of what she gave. His greed warped his perception. Several months ago, Rick talked about grace, and it demands a response. And I think it's similar here, is is those that were witnessing this either saw it through a window or through through a mirror, or at a mirror. Through a window or at a mirror, in the mirror, you see it, you see this, and you go, what about you? If I was a witness to this, what about you, Al? What? Why, why does she have abandonment? Why is she ready to give up on a year's wages? Because it's a sweet, sweet aroma and, and worship of the one who's given her everything. That's, the, that's really what, that's what, that's what God wants is that mirror that holds it up. And not that I walk away shame, but I, but I search within and I go, I want, I want total abandonment. I don't want partial stuff. I don't want just, here you can have my nice, neat little Tupperware container of worship. Don't ask for this other stuff, but I'll give you this. Or you see it through a window and you go... Wow, look at that lady. She's a mess. Ah, she's a wreck. She needs to get it together. Whew. Man, I'd be embarrassed. Just that, just, and that's, you, you, you get the idea that that's where Judas was. Barclay says this too. If we, if we find ourselves becoming critical of other people, we should we should stop examining them and start examining ourselves. I mean, Christians still to this day do this. Don't you think you're don't you think you're just a little too excited about this? You should probably tone it down a little bit. You know, in youth ministry, <clears throat> you almost got the, the sense that you know students would come back from a trip and they'd share their experience and you almost get the point that those that are older and more mature would say, that's nice. That's good. Good for those students. It's almost, they're not saying it. And you know, I don't want to, 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 to put words in their, in their mouth, but that'll wear off. 
you'll get older and you know you maybe you won't be so crazy for Jesus a total abandonment is what we see first john 3 1 oh, what a great verse how great is the love the father has lavished on us that's not just a little bit that's not little a morsel lavished that's more than you could ever want that we should be called children of god it's so much love that simple and ordinary is not enough Mary loved with her whole heart. She's not holding anything back. She pours it out. She pours it out. My question to all of us is do we feel like we hold back parts of our life? Do we feel like we hold back parts of worship Maybe you wonder how much you can give and still have something left. Or maybe you feel the call to give it all, but ooh, surrender like that. A, what does it look like? And B, it's scary. I think everyone that calls themselves a believer in Christ has struggled at some point with total surrender versus partial surrender or no surrender at all. In this picture, you had this woman with what was considered culturally her splendor, her hair, and culturally would let it down just for a husband. And she lets it down for the bridegroom, Christ. She lets it down, and it's not, it's not a sexual thing. It's, she just lets it down for him. She's giving everything to him. Surrender like that. A love like that. An extravagant love like that is a response to what Christ has done for us. Over the years, having gone on mission trips... I've watched students and adults as we interact with an international church, wherever it may be. And they wrestle with this issue of why, oftentimes, why are these people so excited? Why are they so excited? And it's almost like they don't want to say it because they they have very little materially. What are they so excited about? And then the mirror goes up and the question is back at them, why aren't you excited? The same Christ that they know and they treasure and they love is the same Christ that died and saved you from yourself and your sins. Why aren't you excited? It's hard. Because if you're like me, I'm, I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a very conservative church. The showing of emotion, well, that was just, let's throttle it down. 
let's save that for our charismatic brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, if we can clap on beat, then good for us. But even that was frowned upon. But I think we need to put aside all that cultural junk. All these things that that we see that are barriers to worshiping Christ. What is it that makes you afraid of total surrender? This week, I want to challenge you, myself included, because I haven't done this yet, but is start writing out, what are, you, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? From the big to the small. Write it out and keep that. Keep that. It's important to go back to that, to add to that. A few months ago, we wrote in your living room things that we were grateful for. And that's a, it's a wonderful thing as we continue to remember the love that the Father has given to us in so many ways. Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, the love that Mary showed, it's, it's hard to imagine being there and seeing this and not falling into the camp of Judas and being embarrassed. Embarrassed not so much that it exposes my sin, but embarrassed for Mary. Lord, I thank you for this woman and the abandonment that she ran to you. She didn't have to. But she did give all. Lord, that's hard. It's hard to surrender all and not just some or most. Lord, help us to be believers with an open hand. Help us to be believers that are filled with gratitude. Lord, remind us daily of the extravagant love that you have shown to us. And that the only natural response to the extravagant love that you have shown to us is to in turn worship you completely and totally without abandon. Lord, I thank you for our time in the word and thank you for this church. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.